McNulty stunning for Emilio to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi, Pompey fans, and welcome to Pier 4 Guys, episode 216. Well, it's only one point at the Valley, but with one less game played, Pompey stretched their lead at the table by a further point. Join the podcast today is Freddie Webb. How are you, Freddie? Hi, I'm doing very well, Hugh. Thank you. And yeah, it was great being that way and at the Valley. Shame we didn't get three, but shame Pompey didn't get three points. Definitely had the chances to. But it was a cool day out. I enjoyed it. Very enjoyed it. It was much chiller than a lot of away days, to be fair. I took it at a different pace than usual, having gammon egg and chips in the pub rather than five pints. Yeah, Adam kind of gave you a lift, didn't he, up to up to the ground, so you didn't park in the centre of London, as I suggested to you, while we were going to London Bridge. I was like, you're probably not going to be able to park around there, mate, so might have to go meet you at the stadium, but... It was a great away day. Shout out to Rob as well and all his mates came along with us. We went out in London Bridge first. To be fair, it wasn't too messy. I think I had five pints before heading to the game. So, you know, it was all right. But how are things going for you anyway, apart from outside of football? Yeah, I'm not doing too bad, usual with me. I think I've got a... I'll be doing more like work-related stuff away from the pod soon. I'll have exams. I'll have seniors qualifications to finish so it's all it's going to be a bit busy soon especially from like may and throughout the summer personally i'm all right getting by doing the usual nothing 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 really going on that much what about you yeah well i said i only had five pints at the before the football obviously that carried on a little bit later went home carried the party on i ended up at sort of a i'm going to just call it some sort of weird acoustic night when someone was playing acoustic versions of Green Day and Blink and stuff like that. Which was this in Oxford? Yeah, it was in Oxford at the Ginistry, obviously. Your oh, yeah, yeah. It sounds, like the sort, it sounds like the sort of place that would do like an acoustic night. For those who don't know, it is probably the most, how can I put it, the most Tory London commuter bar ever devised. Think, think of that and then you'll think of the Ginistry, even though it is actually really good. And I was allowed in. They didn't hear my accent and take me away. Yeah, I vouched for you, mate. Otherwise, that wouldn't have happened. But yeah, but, so that night going on, I actually bumped into people I've like from school who I have never spoken to and ended up dancing with them. Did get accosted by some woman who tried to introduce me to her husband in a strange way. So that was an interesting event. Obviously, managed to bat that situation away, as you do, with a smile, whilst trying to talk to him about uh, Pompey. And Charlton, which seemed to bore the shit out of him. So that was a good way of backing off say, someone. He's bored with the football, and I wonder his missus is very happy with him. Yeah, exactly. But apart from that, it was quite an uneventful weekend. So let's get into the football today. Andy Mitchmore's not here. He's currently on a work leaving do with one of the squad players from Oxford United, who apparently will be on the bench at the weekend. So Andy's mission for us, everyone listening, is to spread some serious misinformation to the Oxford squad. Kamara's only good with his, with his right foot, for instance, we're saying. But let's see if we can get into the tactical genius, which is Des Buckingham at the moment and his Oxford side. I'm sure we'll come on to more of that later on the podcast. But first of all, we are going to review the game against Charlton. Well, on from that, we're going to talk about some of the injury news and injury updates that are going on. And then we're going to look at some of the, the form teams at the moment. As the season rolls on and the table starts to form up, we're going to look at who's doing well in League One. And then we put a question out to you guys. And this sort of rolls on from that previous segment. And we said, how confident are you that Pompey 
We'll beat the top tier sides in the promotion run-in. And finally, we're going to preview the game on Saturday at home to Oxford. Right, let's get going, Fred. Charlton. As we alluded to, as a, a nice away day, as it always is, even though we're pretty rubbish against Charlton. We were talking before with Louis, weren't we, on Charlton Live in the last episode about the narrative, the fact we can never beat Charlton. And unfortunately, that was the case in this game. But there were a lot of chances that happened. But before we get into those Pompey chances, Fred, let's just have a quick look at the first chance for Charlton because the ball went up and it was headed out by Raggett. It comes back in and... Alfie May makes a little smart move across the defenders and it sort of conf- looks like it's confused Racket a little bit and it allows Carney to get in behind. He strikes it across Will Norris. It hits the inside of the post and just kindly rolls out, doesn't it, to Will Norris. At that stage, was that a warning sign for Pompey? And what were your thoughts generally of the defence in this game? Yeah, yikes. It, um, I couldn't quite see the full the full goal when Carnu took that strike because of how packed the away end was. So I could only so I could only see him having a shot and it looking like it was nestling in the in the bottom corner. But no, Daniel Carnu did really well there. And I thought it, he seems like a very promising striker at only 19. Getting into the positions very well and getting a lot of chances. If it was an inch the other way, it would have nestled nicely into the corner or cannoned off the post or something. The defense, I thought overall did a reasonable job but they couldn't deal with a lot of the tight close control of some of the Charlton players like for example when the ball was played into May and Carnu, May was able to do that little shimmy which which flummoxed the defence a little bit and suddenly Carnu was on his own and then later on there was a chance where a low cross was put into six yard box and Carnu again Got away from the defenders, who's pretty much on his own as well. Should have scored, might probably should have scored from six yards when he hit it over the bar. So there were warning signs in there. It was pretty obvious that Charlton were looking to exploit the wide areas. They've got some quite good technical players. They were going to drop D, allow Pompey to attack them in the first half and try and hit them on the break in the wide areas and those half spaces. And they hit Pompey very well, even though they had two shots in that entire first half. Both of them were relatively clear-cut chances and yeah I know the defense struggled in individual moments but overall they did a pretty good job a lot of the defenders got banged up though we'll talk about that in the injury news Connor Shortesy and Connor Ogilvy both getting in the wars after this game yeah and that's not what you want to hear at the moment in time is it with our you know sort of light squad should we say I'm not going to go full Harry Redknapp and say down to the bare bones but kind of like squad there in this situation that you know the Carney chance you spoke about the second one there if he leaves that Alfie May scores he sort of gets in this position and Alfie May's right behind him it's probably an even easier chance of May so you know the it young was, was on the stretch wasn't he sort yep. of that's probably why he prodded it over the bar because he was slightly a yard behind where May was so yeah thank- but thankfully they got they got news to other's way it was a it was a very good cross by uh Backinson. Tyreek Backinson, I thought he had a decent game as well in midfield, working the ball around quite nicely. But finally, but and that was the, we're praising the opposition a, a, a fair bit here because I know they hadn't won in well, this game they hadn't won in God knows how long, but they were a pretty good side and they were able to draw against Bolton the week before. Although Pompey had some really good moments in this game as well. But Pompey weren't toothless in this game either, were they? And they had quite a good chance here where Kamara gets the ball, he sort of runs inside, he sort of pokes it ahead and just gets there ahead of the defender. He gets taken down. It's a clear free free kick, but the referee does well. He he sort of waves it on for advantage, gets to Bishop, who tries to hit it across um, Harry Eister, doesn't he, in goal. It's quite a comfortable save, just because at that right height, if it's a little bit higher or a little bit lower, I think he's going to struggle more, isn't he, to make that save? Yeah, absolutely. It was... A fair effort by Bishop. It wasn't a brilliant shot, really. Right height for Easter to make the save. Good positioning, at least, to be in there. Then the ball worked out. Worked all its way out to Conor Ogilvy. He put the, he put the cross back in. And Callum Lang, a header that went wide. And that was the first opportunity where Pompey looked as if they were going to create some chances. And then the second one came out of nothing, really, where Owen Moxon had that lovely bit of individual quality. He was able to get the ball from a throw 
tap the ball over a defender and then hit it flush on the volley. And was this saved by Isted after canning off the bar? It was a very good save. It could have easily dipped over him from that point of view. It was lovely technique as well. And thankfully, Pompey pushed an awful lot in this first half, but unfortunately couldn't convert anything. Yeah, it was a fantastic save to knock it over the bar, but an even better effort there from Owen Moxon just to chip it up in the air, really, on the turn and then hit it. But one of the things I said at half-time that was encouraging was the Pack-Moxon partnership. I thought they looked even better, to be honest, in this game at first, especially. You can tell the chemistry's there. We were kind of a bit worried, you know, Joe Morrell goes down. You know, how's that partnership going to work between Pack and Moxon? But they really seem to be growing in this, you know, this partnership together, don't they, Fred? And what are your thoughts on how they played together in this game? Yeah, I thought they were excellent in this game. Probably the two best players on the pitch, I thought. I don't think there are a lot of standout performances in this game, but those two both played incredibly well. My worry was at first that they were to a certain extent similar if Moxon was too defensive, but he was able to get uh, play that proper box-to-box role and was able to get right up to the penalty area and right up to supporting the um, wingers and attacking midfielder as well. And also, Pack was given licence to go forward and they sort of both played a similar role, working together, covering for each other, always knowing where they were on the pitch. And I thought that was excellent. And that chemistry's done very well to be able to get like that after only a few games, and especially with all the injuries Pompey have had in the centre of field as well. No, this game was reassuring from the midfield's point of view. Yeah, and I thought Moxon, we we build him as a sort of box-to-box midfielder, didn't we? And he really showed that in this game. Even the numbers, no one had more dribbles, he had two, and no one had more tackles, he had three registered with than Owen Moxon. So, yeah, I was really impressed with him in this game. But let's move on to the next chance here. Kamara... Again, on the right-hand side, he always sucks players in, doesn't he? And allows Rafferty to get round him on the overlap. It's a great cross into the box. And Lang gets a header. It's, it's straight Eisted again. But then Lane gets a follow-up, doesn't he? Gets it on target. Hits the underside of the bar. And, and it's it's pretty unlucky there, isn't it, from, from Paddy Lane. It just goes to show the small margins in this game. We talked about the Cholton chances coming off the, coming off the post earlier on. And now you had Lane at the other end. And... Yeah, it was quite a game of fine margins. Can't really believe it. Ended no, no. Yeah, absolutely. Pompey overall in this game had a fair number of chances. Their total expected goals was one point six three, and most of it was in that period where, well, with Callum Lang's header that was well saved by the goalkeeper, and then Lane's header on the follow up, which again slightly an inch below where it was. It might have hit the crossbar and bounced over the line. So, so Pompey were creating those chances in this first period of the first half specifically, and they could have scored really, but they did have problems getting into the penalty area at times overall in the game. So I think having a look at deep completed crosses and passes where they're made in the penalty area and then slightly around it. So for example, if a, if Kamara's right on the edge of the penalty area, it usually counts. Pompey in this game only had seven deep completed crosses and passes in total, whereas they're averaging over seven deep completed passes on the ground in the penalty area every game, about eight and a half, and then 6.74 deep completed crosses. And I think a lot of that was down to the formation that Charlton played. That They played that five at the back and they were able to adapt it very well. They were able to pack the penalty area and force Pompey to play around the penalty area with switching passes, because they were doing that a lot, weren't they? And from there, Pompey had to try and be a little bit clever with crossing and everything to actually create those chances. But unfortunately, the players can get it over the line. Yeah, and we spoke about Nathan Jones as manager, didn't we, on the last podcast. And I said to Louis, I expect him to get the team more organised, you know, more defensively drilled. And that was... Kind of showing this game, wasn't it? And I thought it did really well. Generally stifling a Pompey attack, which apart from these few chances we'll mention, didn't have a lot of looks in this game. You know, Moxon shot from outside the box, a couple of crosses, well saved from the keeper, etc. There wasn't a lot there. And I thought that Cholton were quite well organised. And again, on Tuesday, they've gone and played Derby and got a win away from home and won 2-1. So... I suppose you can see that they're a team that may be starting to find their feet a little bit under their new manager. But, you know, it's funny, isn't it, with 
the narrative and some Pompey fans who are, you know, really annoyed about the game, I suppose, in this in this match and said we were kind of rubbish, etc. And I don't think it's fair to say that at all. I think it was just a game where we didn't manage to take a few chances and played against a team who looked pretty organised and, and, and good in this game. But we'll come on to the next second half now. I thought we were dangerous from a few set pieces here, a few corners. Could have gone either way in that sense, but Lang had a flick from a corner, tried to get to the near post and play a little flick in, didn't he? Didn't quite work off, but the idea was good there. And there was another corner as well. I can't quite remember, Fred, but it was, you know, floated into the box. And I think Eisley got something on that as well, sort of to keep it out. Yeah, it was a free kick from Sparks, wasn't it? When there was a foul outside the penalty area. Are you thinking of that? No, there's another one. There's a flick from mm. a corner. There's another corner that went in. And there was one that Eisley did from the from the free kick from Sparks as well that was put straight on goal, wasn't it? And he did well, really. Do you think that was a cross or a shot? Yeah, it was definitely a cross. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't, I don't I think thought. Sparks was aiming for the far corner, I don't think. Yeah, no, I think, I think the uh, one of the commentators when I was watching back the extended highlights was like, oh, it's a great shot on goal there. And I was like, I think you're giving us a little bit too much credit if you think that was a shot on goal. But there's another chance of Pompey nearer the end. Put Harris came on and got, you know, put up through clear on goal. You've got to say it's a great challenge, isn't it? Macaulay Gillespie did incredibly well to be able to keep up with Put Harris when he was driving into the penalty area and it was the perfect tackle. Put in, side tackle, gets all the ball, gets a little bit of the player as well, which is always nice for the football league, eh? Because, you know, referees don't want that sort of challenge anymore. But no, it, it took it took the clear-cut chance away from Pompey and unfortunately they couldn't create much else. It was a much more even second half, I thought. At the beginning of it, Charlton had some chances. Romari Edmonds-Green put in the ball to Backinson. His tame as it was easily dealt with, and then there was another cross which went into the box. Chucks and Nico flicked onto Edmonds Green, but his shot was well saved. But then it got to about the 75th minute, the 80th minute, and then I think Charlton shut up shop a bit. There are a lot of instances where players went down with, I would say, feign head injuries, really, to waste a little bit of time. The back three with the wing backs that was a bit more adventurous at the beginning of the second half turned into a flat back five and they were able to soak up the pressure and get the draw which is a shame for Pompey really both sides had a high press according to the PPDA so that's the average throughout the entire game 5.14 for Pompey and 7.66 for Charlton but Pompey's press sort of fell off a little bit to a certain extent even at the end they had a lot of possession but didn't really do anything with it and it petered out to a respectable nil-nil draw. I think I'd call it a respectable result. Obviously, not the three points that Pompey would have liked. The midweek results for Bolton and Derby make things slightly better. But in this game alone, Pompey had some chances to get the game. The expected goals was in their favour. They were able to win the ball back a fair bit. They were ahead on all the duels metrics as well. But it just seemed like there was something missing in this game. I like how Massinho threw on the attacking changes in the second half. It was um, precaution. It was a precautionary sub where Ogilvy, which we'll talk a tiny bit about later in the injury news. Sparks came on. I thought I had a reasonable game. Yengi came on and looked a bit bright, but I still don't think putting Yengi on alongside Bishop, I don't, and putting it into a free, unless it's in specific scenarios, I don't think it works. I sort of think Bishop disappeared in the second half when Yengi came on. I'm not sure what you think. No, completely. I just I don't think they work together because both of them want to lead the line, don't they? And when I saw Yengi warming up, I kind of thought, okay, get Bishop, get Yengi on, stretch him behind. We talked about how the fact there was a lot of space in the channels against Charlton generally. So I was thinking at the time, okay, bring Yengi on, try and stretch the stretch the back three, try and drag players out of position try and get our three in behind a bit of space because we have dangerous attacking midfielders. And that didn't really happen, did it, with the formation change? So from my perspective, I think Yengi or Bishop, I know there's some fans out there that want to play two strikers up front, but for me, in the, in the system we play at the moment in time, it has to be one or the other. I can imagine if we're losing and they just want to throw someone on and caution to the wind and loft things up. And, you know, it's, it's almost like that cup situation, isn't it, where you've got to get a goal. But... I don't really think they work together as a strike partnership. I think they're just what they want to do and how they want to lead the line is just too similar. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it was a shame really for Pompey in the end that they couldn't really create a lot in the second half and it just tailed off a little bit. But hey, not a bad result. I, I don't mind an away point even at this late stage of the season personally. And I thought Pompey played well enough to take positives out of this game. They played similar against weaker opposition and nicked it 1-0. So I don't think it was a complete drop-off of a performance. But they will need but the the side will need to be more clinical when facing better opposition. Yeah, and it's easy to say that, isn't it, when the teams beneath you don't pick up points? Because you can just sort of see the positivities to it. Now, yeah, again, I'm quite positive about some of the chances, etc., and how he played was okay, but when the two teams beneath you lose as well. It's happy days a little bit, isn't it? Just got to keep picking up points, really, in this running. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, look at the chances in this game. Again, only three of the shots of Pompey's 11 were on target. There was a lot of shots where it was a lot of work around the penalty area, then played to someone who had a go from outside the area, which obviously fans like because it looks like progress. But really, there's just ballooning chances over the bar and not doing very much. I think Pack had a couple. Kamara had a couple from the wide areas. And I don't mind having a shot if it's a, if it's a clear effort, but it's just not a clear-cut chance, is it? And I guess if a team packs the penalty area, you may as well have a go with those chances every now and again, because you never know. It, it could be a lovely bit of quality, curling it into the corner or a deflection to a striker or anything. I don't think all the shots from outside the area were a bad thing. I just think it showed the problem that Pompey couldn't get over in this game. But no, a nil-nil draw is fair enough, and I think the fans will move on with that relatively happily. So let's move on. You hinted about the injury news, didn't you, already in this? So, Fred, what is the injury situation at Pompey at the moment? Okay, so look at a couple of players. John Massino spoke to Andy Moon and the news, but I got the info from Andy Moon's little two-minute clip on the injury news, which he separated, which was quite nice for us. Conor Ogilvy took what Massino describes as a knock to the head during the game, but it what they don't class it as a concussion. But he's going through all the concussion protocols and independent assessments, which is what every player should do. And I personally agree with that from a medical perspective. And those are set for Friday, but the club are very confident he's going to be available for selection for Saturday. It's just the drawn out process that you'll have to do. Shotnessy had a couple of black eyes and a nasty cut on his nose after that game. But Massino said he was fine and was being checked over by the club doctor who is also treating Conor Olgavy. So again, he's available for selection despite looking a bit bruised after that game. Zach Swanson apparently had a partial training session on Thursday. Massino said he's going to go for a slow introduction so he's not going to be rushed. I really hope there's no more injuries to write back. That is literally the low-key, one of the low-key things that I'm scared of a bit. Massino added that Zach will be in training on Friday and then we'll carry on training next week ahead of a possible full return to the squad. And then the final two players, Tino Andrin is still being looked after by Chelsea, but Massino says that Chelsea will be able to sign Tino off soon and then he'll be back for potentially the last six weeks of the season. And I think he could be a brilliant impact player in those last six weeks. In Sharp the playoffs. The bench. <laughs> yeah. God, why on earth did you say that? I'm ignoring that and carrying on. And then the final player, Ben Stevenson. Messina said he stepped up his training, uh, but is still a couple of weeks away from being fit enough for selection. So those are the main injury news that we have. I, there was nothing else on Tom Lowry. I think that's still the the hamstring injury. And obviously all the players who are out for the season are still out completely. So yeah, injury roundup sorted. Not entirely a disaster because uh, there's no new injury news either, but still not brilliant either. Pompey are still the walking wounded a little bit. They are, aren't they? Just need to keep going. There's not that many games left in the season. Let's just hope there's no shockers and just keep this squad together, glued together, patched up like Connor Shaughnessy is, and carry on. Hopefully Connor Ogilvy is okay. Sounds like he should be, but you never know what an independent doctor might find or see, I suppose. So he would be a big loss, wouldn't he, to the squad. He's played excellent since he came back. I mean, excellently. I know it's easy to point to one player coming back and then you look at the team as a whole getting all those results and you know those Sky Sports graphics that says, oh, this player in the side and this player out and it shows like the massive points differentials. But Conor Rogovic's definitely come back and he's been 
imperious defensively, but also very good going forward as well. He's improved an awful lot and it's his spot to lose at left back now, isn't it? I mean, Sparks had that very good period where he got all those assists at once, but tailed off a little bit, especially around Christmas time. And Elgar is just taking it and run with it. So we'll see if he's fit for Saturday. Fingers crossed that he is. No more season-ending injuries, please and thank you. I think every Pompey fan is straight on that one sentence and just gripping hold of it, Fred, and hoping that is the case. But all right, so we'll move on from the injury news, Fred, and we'll talk about the form table. We're going to talk about a little bit of who's doing what in League One, where teams are. So go and hit it, mate. You've done the prep for this. I'll let you lead the section. Yeah, so Pompey are doing reasonable on the form table. Let's look at the overall league table first, just give us a bit of context. So Pompey currently top with 73 points from 35 games. Derby second with 66 points from the same amount of games played. Bolton third, also 66 points with the game in hand. And then Bolton a fourth with 63 points with two games in hand. I think those three are probably Pompey's gravest concerns. I think they're the three other best sides as well. So I think the league table's looking, shaping up. I don't think there's any surprises in there. So from the form table in the last 10 matches, Pompey a third out of all the teams in League 1 for form. And from, we're getting 20 points in the club's last 10 games. Top is Leighton Orient with 23. They've been on an absolute tear and beating everybody, including Pompey and other big teams. Barnsley, second in the form table with 21 points. Derby are sixth with 17 points. And Bolton are all the way in ninth with 15 points. And obviously there are brilliant midweek results with Charlton beating Derby away, which is a massive result. And then we can get a 1-0 win against Bolton as well with Ian Everett throwing his toys out of the pram and then going home and throwing everything out of his spice rack and all of his cupboards and everything else. He doesn't seem very calm, does he? No, he actually got involved in the little handbags at the end of the game, didn't he? Didn't, I don't know if he saw that, but after the game, there's a bit of pushing and shoving between all the Wigan and Bolton players and Ian Everett decided to get stuck in in the middle of it. So... Just try and slap out a bit of that. that I mean, it's nice got. to have John Bassino, who will definitely just not do that, but he's not boring. <laughs> he's still a passionate guy, but I can't imagine him running all the way into the centre of the pitch, trying to get in the middle of a ha- in the middle of some handbags. No, neither can I. That'd just be ridiculous. But there you go. There you go. We'll, we'll stick with John. What are your thoughts then on that form table? Let's have a look at the teams around us. So let's have a look at Dar- at Derby then, who are currently sixth in the form table. Let's see a little bit of what's going on at the club there. Interesting to see. It's the striker issue, isn't it? And scoring goals. We said that's been their problem for a while now. They've brought in Dwight Gale. Obviously, he's a bit of an older lad, a 34 for a footballer. Hasn't really hit the ground running. He's only played two games. Only started one of those two as well. But I don't think he's the the answer to their striker issue at the moment. Obviously, maybe it takes a bit of time to bed him. But even before that, you look at their results, Fred, and you think they were always winning or getting a point off, you know, by one goal. So they went away at Charlton 1-0. They drew with Shrewsbury 1-1. They managed to get a 3-0 win away at Exeter, which sort of bucks that trend. But then they win at 1-0 at home to Stevenage. Lose 2-1 again to Barnsley. It's that magic number one. And then they've won 2-1. Sorry, they've lost 2-1 at home to Charlton. Fred, are you confident that Derby can pull this together? I mean, it's obviously we don't watch them enough. I think Bird's pretty decent. He's got five goals, seven assists for them. He's playing behind the striker. And they've almost gone to a 4-4-1-1 to try and change the formation up, purely maybe to try and get things going and just because of the lack of strikers. Yeah, literally, we mentioned at the beginning of the season where they didn't have an out-and-out striker, even compared to some other teams that haven't performed as well as we would have expected to do. I, th- I think I remember saying that Blackpool had almost a better chance just with their striking partnership up top. But looking at their players, obviously you have some... I think the standout is Nathaniel Mendes-Lang with eight goals and 14 assists this season. He's been on an absolute tear and is carrying Derby County's forward line, isn't it? You've got, te- you've got good technical players there. You've got Kodah Hurahan, Max Bird who are all capable of creating chances at least. I think Louis Sibley's also very good. But they just don't have that out-and-out striker that even Pots have had. They have James Collins, but he's injured, I believe. One of the many strikers 
um, in this side who are injured. So is Connor Washington, who has scored goals at this level before. Throwing a punt at Dwight Gale at this stage just shows how desperate this side is to get promoted. And I mean, Corey Blackett-Taylor's come in and only played four matches and two starts. They seem to be throwing everything at this and chopping and changing everything all the time. Whereas with Pompey, you could at least see that it's a standard starting eleven all the time. I mean, they've had Martin Waghorn up front who scored six goals this season, but he's also injured. I mean, none of the names pop out at you and you think, wow, this this player up front is doing incredibly well. Yeah, I know they've got Nathaniel Mendes-Lang who might carry the side going forward, but God, it, it doesn't seem like a side that might overtake us. They're a very solid side. Obviously, they've got Paul Warner as the manager who has gotten Rotherham out of this division several times. When Derby and Pompey played against each other at Pride Park, it was very even for a lot of it. Even though Derby didn't have many chances before the penalty, they were still able to control the midfield incredibly well. So they're not a bad side by any manner of means. They're just missing that one key focal point, aren't they? Yeah, and you look at them as well at the back. You've got Curtis Nelson and Sonny Bradley as a back partnership. Again, pretty good partnership at this level as well. And they bring in Ebu Adams as well. I rate him as a midfielder. So they've got quite a solid good midfield, decent defence. Maybe they're going to win some games again by these close sort of one nails, two one margins. I mean, you have a look at the fixtures coming up, to be fair to them. They've got Port Vale at home. I expect them to win that. Bristol Rovers away. I think they should get at least a point. Bristol Rovers are quite streaky. So they're a bit hit or miss, to be honest, with them. But if Derby can shut them out, they could win that game. Home to Reading. These aren't the most difficult fig fixtures before the big fixture comes up, which is Derby at home to Bolton. Now, let's talk about Bolton then on that list before we come on to that fixture, because Bolton as a team, again, are they're stumbling, aren't they? And, and Fred, where did you say they were in the form table again? They were ninth in the form table with 15 points. Okay. So they're having a bit of a, a, bit of a stumble at this moment in time. They're a bit different, I think going forward and, and with injuries really because they haven't got that many injuries as far as I'm concerned I probably should look that up whilst I'm quickly I mean they have Santos back in defence don't they after he... a while back so you're looking at transfer mark quickly you see who they've got they've got a centre back out in George Johnson and the only other player is Dion Charles who's listed but I believe he's back in the next game now Aaron he's now be fit to play so they've got a full squad. It's not like they're sort of stumbling around like Derby are up front. You look at in the last six games with Bolton, again, they drew away at Northampton, did have a red card though, beat Wickham 2-1, drew 3-3 with Charlton, beat Cambridge 2-1. I mean, they did get a red card Cambridge, but I don't really think that Lyle Taylor's red card made a big difference. And the surprising result really was losing 4-1 away at Blackpool, even though they got a red card in that. And then you've got the result on Tuesday where I watched this game to do a little bit of prep for the podcast. Bolton looked very good passing the ball around. They passed the ball around nicely. I believe they only had 11 shots in this game though. So it wasn't like they were completely dominant, but well, they were dominant on the ball, but maybe not actually getting those shots away. Wigan played very physical. I know it's a sort of derby between the two clubs. I think Wigan think it's more of a derby than Bolton, but there we go. The problem is, is that they just need to find a way to break down these difficult teams, I think, as well. And maybe, though, with the players coming in at the back, now Santos is back. Do you think that makes them a more solid team? And maybe apart from this outlying result away at Wigan in a derby, anything can happen in those games, can't it? Do you expect them to start picking up points? They've got home to Cambridge the next game. Do you feel that they're going to start turning this ship around? I mean, Cambridge is the right side for Bolton to play, considering that Neil Harris left to go all the way to Millwall. And you look at just the squad quality here. I mean, you've got some very good midfielders, George Thomason, Paris Magoma, Cole Dempsey. Players who can easily pass the ball around and create chances for any of their strikers they have. Dion Charles, Victor Adeboyeju, even though he hasn't got 10 goals this season, he's got nine. Dion Charles is a massive come back for them and Santos has been apparently a bit more hit and miss with the injury record and people saying oh Yengi had him on toast and all that sort of thing which I which obviously the narrative loves but they're still a good side and I know their form has been quite poor recently you'd it's not home and dry Pompey would probably still have to beat them 
at the Reebok and then go from there, I think. Actually, it's not the Reebok anymore. It's the University of Bolton Stadium. That shows my age, that does. Sorry to any sponsors of University of Bolton out there who are going to grill Freddie for it. But I think Sheehan's very good as well. In behind, just in front of the back three. Pulls some good strings. He made some really good passes, actually, against Wigan. I thought he's one of those players who sort of gets them ticking, kicks, hits the ball up, plays him with Santos really nicely. They also had a, a problem here because I think Gomez was taken off injured. It looks pretty serious to, for them, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, that is a bit of a, a bit of a problem for them. I didn't think that Collins came on and did that well. The Bolton commentators certainly didn't think he did that well. They said flash in the pan, bit here and there. Isn't what you want for a £700,000 signing in January, which goes to show these January signings can either work, like at the moment it is with Lang for us, and maybe not work as well, like it has been there for Collins. What are you feeling about this? I mean, these two teams are still very good squads who could just flip it on and flip it off as the switch goes. And directly just going through sticky patches. It's going to flip around and it's going to be a fight to the death at the end. Probably the latter. Definitely probably the latter. I mean, we've seen sides go on multiple winning runs of like eight or ten games and then have a drop-off. I mean, Portsmouth did that in the dreaded blip of December. And you can just look at the squads of both players without going into incredibly high detail. And you just think, surely these surely these players should be able to click it together at some point. The form can't just drop off entirely. There's enough here. And they play a very good and reliable, you know, they play good they all play good football, don't they? It's not as if they're a direct counter-attacking side who can go on a little bit of a run, but that's it. They, they can't sustain it because they're relying on sort of what the opposition are doing. Both these sides can control games, pass around really well and create chances. So they should be in and around where Ports of are, unfortunate for, for Pompey fans, obviously. And there's a huge game coming up, as I said, I mentioned earlier on, between Derby and Bolton. Considering where things are... And there are two automatic spots. And let's be honest, let's not get carried away and say we want to win the title. Of course, we want to win it, but that's definitely not... If we come second, it, no one's going to care. We're promoted, to the, we're promoted to the championship. When there's those two teams chasing us, Fred, is the draw the best result? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, no. It's quite clear that I don't think I'd want either side to pull away in that scenario. If you had to pick a side, you'd pick... Bolton, I think. Let's have a look then. So, but actually, Bolton have the game in hand. Derby have the same number of points as Pompey. So you'd probably want Derby to win because they'll be on the same amount of games as Pompey, roughly. But you'd take a draw all day long. That's probably the best result that Pompey could have because both teams will stagnate and not go up the table as much. We've talked about poor form and let's talk about the on-form team, which is Barnsley. Because Barnsley really are picking the pace up. I think you said third in the form table earlier on. Second in the form table. Um, Pompey a third, and the only team above them is Leighton Orient. And Barnsley have just been hitting it together, haven't they? They've been under under the radar, a very solid side. Yeah, Barnsley are an odd side because they just rely on outscoring the opposition. We've talked about the the attacking styles of other teams, but I believe Barnsley have had like both teams to score in the last 15 games or something like that. So they are really a team who literally will go and try and outscore teams just by pure firepower. And they have got uh, Derby coming up soon as well, I believe. Uh, and they've also got to play Bolton. So they're massive games for us, aren't they? I mean, if Barnsley actually managed to beat both those teams, I still think it's beneficial to us just due to the raw points. Yeah, so, I mean, if you look at their games as well, they are pretty tight. They're 2-1, 2-1. I mean, they drew Bolton 1-0. They beat Leighton Orion 2-1. They drew 1-1 away at, Sh at Shrewsbury. They won 2-1 away at Fleetwood. They won 2-1 at home to Derby. So although they're conceding a goal in, in every game, and I talked about the BTTS there, they're actually a pretty defensively solid side, aren't they, as well as a, a good side going forward? Yeah, they're not bad defensive side I mean it's hard for for Pompey fans to say really because they conceded three goals to the Blues in about a quarter of an hour to start with so they didn't get it together that time but what they are very good at is 
hitting teams in the wide areas, just a very offensive play. Devante Cole's got 17 goals this season. I mean, he had a right spell of not doing anything at all before he went to Barnsley. I think the only time I saw him where he was playing incredibly well regularly was when he scored that goal for Fleetwood at Fratton Park years ago when Pittman got the brace. He's been the focal point, but they're, but they're just a very quick, fast, counter-attacking side. They've got all sorts of firefighters. They've got, got Herbie Kane as well. Callum Styles is able to settle down the midfield an awful lot, and he's a Hungarian international. I mean, God, if you're playing for your national team every time, you're able to lock down a midfield properly. And they've got players like Nicky Cadden who are able to put in a decent ball into the box as well. They're a dangerous side. And I know that... Pompey were able to beat them 3-2 away from home. But Pompey were under the cost for a loss of that game, especially when it was at 3-2 from looking back at it. So there are no pushovers at all. Yeah, I'll throw Adam Phillips into the mix there as well as a game winner for them. Obviously recently got some goals for them, but just generally a very good player, dangerous player when you need him at the end of the season. Six goals so far this season, but can be a player who can just get the ball and score something for nothing. So... Yeah, it's going to be very difficult, isn't it? And let's be honest, we're looking at form. Pompey's form was woeful, wasn't it? At the end of December going into January. And you just think, this could flip on its side. So let's go into the listener question from here. There's a bit of a roundup of the three teams around us. It makes a bit of sense, really, before we go into the listener question. Because people have asked us some bits and bobs, Fred, that we'll rely on that. Thanks to everyone who messaged in. We really appreciate it. It makes the show. We put a question out to you guys and said, how confident are you that Pompey will beat the top tier sides in the promotion run-in? Andy Thompson messaged in and says, historically terrified, but hopeful given current form. Those are the teams we have stepped up against this year. Fred, we've done pretty well against the top teams, haven't we, this season? I think it's mainly the teams who are a bit lower down that we've actually found it a little bit difficult and struggled against, especially at home, I sort of fancy us to do well against these teams. Um, not sure what you're feeling about that. Yeah, I mean, Pompey have only lost four games this season, which is still a remarkable feat, considering that I know there's a lot of draws in there, which is always a worry. I think you'd rather your side blow teams away just purely from a confidence point of view. But no, I think the only... What was the highest team that beat Fratton Park, that beat Pompey? It was Blackpool at home, probably, because otherwise it was Leighton Orient, Bristol Rovers... And Cheltenham, <laughs> which is, which is quite mad. We talk about all these teams: Derby, Bolton, Barnsley. Pompey have gotten positive results against all of them, so there's no reason to say that Pompey don't do that. In a certain scenario, Pompey just have to better the opposition's results. It doesn't have to. Pompey doesn't have to beat all these teams. So you get draws against all of them and enough wins to get, probably get above the ninety point mark. Pompey are probably safe because it's not really the sort of season where. Like the last season with Sheffield Wednesday where they got like 90 plus points and finished third. That's not going to happen this season, I don't think. No, there's not enough separation between the top teams in this league as there was the last season. There was such a pull away from those top three teams, wasn't there? With Ipswich involved as well and Plymouth that I just don't think that's going to happen this season. So, Sean Meshton, he says, I'm confident. We stuck three past Barnsley and Posh, two past Bolton, Oxford and Stevenage and battered Derby. The only team I fear is ourselves. Do you think it's fair to say that injury is the only thing that we're worried about as well as the drop-off in form? Yeah, I think injuries is the main thing because there have been so many injuries to this side already. Another key injury to an integral part of the pitch will cause some problems. We mentioned the centre of midfield, deeper in centre of midfield because of the sheer number of injuries that have been there. I wouldn't like it if Raggett or Shotnessy got injured. I think we'd be worried about it at centre-half. If Rafferty got injured, that would be massive as well. I think that is the main thing that will derail Pompey, I think. I think purely from a mentality point of view, this squad seemed to have it and have shown that they've had it by getting draws in, quick, in tricky games and pulling out late results from nothing on some occasions. And... We analysed, I analysed the blip on the extra and overall the blip wasn't as terrible as previous seasons and compared to what some of the other sides are doing right now. So I think injuries and probably if 
Pompey lose the key games. Those are probably the two things that could drag the Blues down into the dreaded playoffs. Even though I don't want to think about it at all. Yeah, it's, it's a case of not losing against Bolton and Derby, I feel. That's the two key things. I mean, if you beat one of them, it's probably not the end of the world. If you lose the other one, and if you get four points, I think we're on a, we're on a run there. Really, I think that's, I'll be pretty happy with that. Andrew messaged in. He says we've been luck, very lucky. The results have gone our way, and now it's literally our titles to lose. Still tough games to play, but surely favourites now. Question is, why do you think this team finally clicking now compared to dare I say? Last time when we were top of the league. Do you see us doing it? Fred, do you think it's fair to say then that our squad's just a lot better? I think that's fair to say. We've had yeah, better absolutely. options. Absolutely, yeah. It, it, not even from a top-level talent point of view because a lot of the key players last season are here this season. Colby Bishop, Marlon Pack, Sean Raggett, Joe, Raff, Joe Rafferty sort of, even with the injuries. So the building blocks are there from last season. It's just the fact that this season we brought in so much depth and so many players have all stepped up at the same time, which has made it into a more cohesive squad. And that's why Pompey have been able to string results together. This squad isn't built on the successes of one or two players. It is an overall team, which has probably allowed it to carry on through the moments of massive injury crisis, haven't they? I'm going to throw in smart January recruitment as well. And the fact that we splashed out a bit more on some players, you know, good players, quality players, which was always the message, wasn't it, in January? And and they sort of pulled it off. So, you know, we bought in Moxon, you know, closer to the end of the window, and we really needed him now, haven't we? What happens if we don't sign him? We literally don't have a centre midfielder to play next to Pack. Someone's filling in next to him. The co- the co- the the fluidity. You probably would have had there. to play put Harris deeper and then Yengi behind Bishop. That's yeah. probably what you've had to have done because uh, the sheer amount of injuries in the centre of the field and in the middle of the window. I think oh, I'm hearing all this about Pompey potentially going after a deeper centre midfielder. Why? Uh, now we know why because <laughs> of the horrible injury stuff and it's paid off, hasn't it? That January recruitment was massive, wasn't it? Yeah, and also you look about the the rise of Paddy Lane doing well, but also you, you mentioned Pert Harris going in deep. Again, he's a January addition, isn't he? So if you don't sign those sort of quality players, it doesn't happen. And then, you know, you look at Callum Lang being brought in again, doing really well for us. A couple of goals, key goals needed as well. And just seems to be a great player around the squad. So yeah, January transfer window being a hit this season for me has been a huge reason why we're doing so well. Ben Glover meshes in and he says, we play six of the top seven and possibly, worst case, I can see us getting two wins, two draws and two losses. More realistically, it's two wins, three draws and one loss, which would mean we'd need 10 points of the five games, three of which are at home, Burton, Shrewsbury and Wigan, gets us to 92 points. As we said, just got to be big on those big games, but is 92 points enough this season, Fred? 20 points is probably enough, I think. 93 points, that that cements Pompey in first or second. And that equates if Derby and Bolton go on magnificent runs at the end as well. I think if Pompey end up in the high 80 point mark, you'd have to have your fingers crossed a bit. But I think anything above 90 points should be fine for first or second. And I'm looking at both automatic positions here, I think. I think it would be a bit deflating if Pompey dropped off slightly and finished second. But I would get over it to not be in, for the club not to be in this division anymore. Matt Hope mentioned it and he asked us, how many points do you, need, do you think we need to secure top two? Well, I think we've uh, just answered that for you there, Matt. But Sam responds and he says 21 points should be enough. I really think 21 points will be enough there, Sam. So we're on board with you there, mate. Josh Lish mentioned it and he says, it's not getting easier despite Tuesday night's excellent results. I'm more nervous now because it feels more real. <laughs> I feel that as well. Yeah, literally. I, I, I think earlier on, even in January and at the beginning of February, I just thought, oh, if Pompey, let's just focus on Pompey's results. Let's not focus on what other teams are doing. Now we're looking at other, what other teams are doing. We're thinking it may actually happen. We're still not going to say it will because that's horrible. We can't do that. 
we're not speaking it into existence until it's there, even if you know it takes it all the way to the last games of the season. But I do believe, though, I booked the last two games of the season off for a reason. The Freddie curse happens. Oh, for God's sake! Is that what is that what you're bringing it to? Just because I I, I made sure not to work the last home and away game of the season, so I could go. Yes, exactly. That that just just means it's you. If, well, currently, well, currently, I'm working Bolton away, so I've done everybody a favour there. There we go. Nice one. Everyone travelling up to Bolton can be. You can just not worry about it from now on. It's happening. It's game on. Adriano messages in and says, "More optimistic and hopeful after Tuesday's games." Just amazing to see teams around us drop points. And who knew Scummer Jones would do us a favour? Are you guys also optimistic? Do we win 6 out of 11? And do you think at least 18 points would be enough for automatic promotion? 18 points? I think it probably would be. Yeah, I think 18 points would do us for yeah, all right. Yeah, 18 points would bring us to 91. Yeah. If my maths is properly. So... Yeah, that should be fine. I think anything 90 plus will probably get Pompey in the top two spots. Fingers crossed. Are you optimistic? Freddie is. He's put the last two games off already. He's going to be celebrating at the end of the well, season. Well, well, no, but you, you have to do that, don't you? In, in whatever position Pompey were in, you, you, I had to do that. Literally, I did that as soon as the new work rotor rolled around in January. So, And that was in the middle of the blip as well, so... Excuses, excuses. Dave Moore meshes in and he says, definitely in our hands now. Results have been very generous to us and getting a couple of wins against the teams nearby whilst they have to play each other as well will only ease the nerves a tab. Still won't be happy until it's confirmed. That's the message. Won't be happy until it's confirmed. Quietly optimistic. That's how I'm feeling right now. You know, kind of think it's going well. You know, the mass looks good for us and all those games in hand, teams behind us had haven't really worked out as points well, haven't worked out as points so people talked about points on the board being better in game in hand we've been saying that on the podcast and at the moment it's playing out like that Simon Messin he says given the fixtures remaining with a lot of the top teams playing each other I would think as little as 14 points would be enough for Pompey to make the top two this season I mean where does that lead us Fred 14 points where are we now 73 yeah, 14 87. points would be 87, which I'd be worried about. 87 points, I think, is a bit of a stretch. To be like, yeah, that might do it for us. Yeah, maybe if these teams below us keep dropping points, then you never know. But I think we need to get to 90 points. I think 90 points secures one of those top two positions this season. I think under that, I'm, I'm getting a little bit shaky, and you are relying on those teams to to not pick up on their form and get wins, which I think they will. I think in the end of the day, the class and the quality of those teams around us will show up and they will be able to get some more points, despite the things we spoke about in the in the last section and some of the things they're struggling with. When they come up against some lesser opposition, eventually I think that the tide will turn on those teams there. So Joe French messages in and says, just got back, just got to take it one game at a time. Not getting overconfident, but got some good results have definitely gone our way. Shouldn't worry about anyone else apart from us now. I think that's how Messinio's taking it. The classic one game at a time. You can only do what's ahead of you, what's in front All of you. All the cliches are going to come out the woodwork now in these last 11 games, aren't they? Oh yeah, of course. The club are going to be firing out the cliches, aren't they? But I think that does help players focus as well. It's a bit of a cliche for a reason, isn't it? And it's a bit of a cliche for a reason to... Keep expectations down, not focus on what other teams do and just play it match to match. So it's cliche, but I feel like it's kind of true. Yeah, it can be. There's no point in getting the players to watch all the opposition results all the time because that'll probably make them lose their minds. They just need to focus on their own training methods and the next opposition just to see how to beat them, I guess, rather than just looking at the table every two minutes. All right, thanks, Devon Meshton. It's appreciated. Let's move on to the last part of the podcast, Fred, and talk about Oxford. The big game on Saturday. It's a funny one, isn't it? Because Oxford are a team that have got quite a few good players in it. Obviously, we drew 2-2 away at the last game. Would say that in that case, though, really should have closed that out after Lang got the, the went ahead with the go-ahead goal, I suppose, at 2-1. 
little bit of bad defending really cost us the game at the end of that one. We look at the sort of players that everyone knows about already. Cameron Brannigan in midfield. They've got Matete in midfield as well. I think he's a decent player. Ruben Rodriguez in the centre there. Very good player. Can create something from nothing. Maybe he hasn't quite hit the heights I thought he has, but still has seven goals this season. Only three assists, though, which is quite surprising, actually. I thought we might do a bit better on that sense, but at the back, I think they, they look a little bit leaky, don't they? But looking at the actual results they've had, you know, they drew one on the Reading, drew one one away at Blackpool, beat Wigan 4-2, drew 0-0 with Wickham, drew 2-2 at home to Northampton, and then lost to Leighton Orient at home 2-1. They are the draw specialists. In the last six games, they've got one win, one loss, and four draws. Des Buckingham certainly hasn't really come in and hit the ground running, has he, as well as Liam Manning has. And to be honest, this should be a game at the moment that we go and get three points. Well, we are talking about bogey teams last week with Charlton. I mean, Oxford, to a certain extent, are a bogey team, aren't they? Oxford always seem to get a result against Pompey in a, a variety of ways. And yeah, they've got options options to score some goals on this side. I mean, obviously Cameron Brangelin's one of the better midfielders in this league and he can create absolutely all sorts. They've even got players who can pop up from corners like Greg Lee, who has been rather underrated fullback who could also push into midfield. So yeah, they're going to have loads of options. But under Des Buckingham, they've been pretty much through a transitional phase, haven't they? Because... When Liam Manning was here, they were pulling away alongside Pompey right at the top of the table. Then all of a sudden it fell to the floor. So it's a side that haven't got it quite together and haven't had it together for a while. Not in terms of being a bad side by any manner of means, but about having that consistent rate of winning games back to back to back like Pompey have, for example. It's still going to be a very tough go. But if Pompey get three points here, that's another tick in the box and another step towards promotion, which, thank God, please. <laughs> please, I'm running out of words for, for wanting this side to get promoted because I think this point, they've done incredibly well. So it would be a shame if it dropped off at the moment. Two players didn't mention a minute ago who did cause Pompey problems was down that left-hand side. Tyler Goodrum looks very good against Pompey. Causes all kind of problems. And Greg Lee playing behind him can get forward as well and create problems as well. Fred, how do you think we're going to deal with this left-hand side that looks so potent against us in the in the previous fixture? Do you think Mycelia makes any any tweaks to how we play defensively? Or do you think we just have to be better man for man? I think, I think many things, really. I don't think Rafter will be on the overlap as much. If he's playing alongside Abu Kamara, it might be a case of Abu having to do a couple more things on his own and for Moxon to offer more support in the centre of the pitch and then perhaps just diff- drifting the play away from that side. I know that's the easiest thing that you could that any side could do is, oh, where's an opposition team's strength? Oh, play away from there. But it does work. Shift it to the left-hand side of the pitch with Ogilvy overlapping lane and then Callum Lang supporting them on that side. I think that is probably the best way of neutralising Oxford to a certain extent. And it's not just against us, even the loss against Leighton Orient, 41% of the possession you know, went down Oxford's left-hand side. So it's clearly a way that they're trying to utilise to break teams down. And I expect them to do exactly the same. You can't, don't think they're going to make that many tweaks how they play against us. And Fred, do you think Oxford will come out and just play their game that they always do? The four-two-three-one, same style. Would think they'll make any changes and maybe play a bit deeper and try and hit us on the counter attack away from home. I don't, I don't see them doing that. Do you? I mean, they've got midfielders who can control the game, like Cameron Brandigan, who we mentioned. There's no way they're going to go to much more defensive than they already are. I don't think that would fit. That would just be inviting too much pressure, won't it? Yeah, I agree with that. Let's get into it then, Fred. I want to know your score prediction, please, for the game on Saturday and the goal scorers. Tight game, a very tight game, but I think Pompey are going to nick it. I'm going to go for a 2-1. I know it's the most common scoreline, but I think it's the most appropriate for this fixture. 
And I'm going to go with a Callum Lang brace and Greg Lee scoring from a corner. You must have seen my face a minute ago. I was thinking 2-1 as well. So I'm just going to dial it back. Why not? I'm going to say a 1-0 Pompey win. Near the death. Shaughnessy header. There we go. All right. Fred, always a pleasure being on the podcast, mate. Oh, I love it to be back on the show. And uh, yeah, it feels like we've been doing this for years. It's almost like... It will feel strange not doing the podcast every week. It's gotten to it's gone to that stage. It's been integral to my life. And uh yeah. If I wasn't doing this on Wednesday nights, I don't know what I'd be doing. I think we have been doing it for years. But yeah, I, I the sentiment is there still anyway, despite the sentence. But <laughs> anyway, until next time. Play out Pompey. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle!